Well, good morning. I, uh, I want to launch right in here, but I just have to say something about the Aggies. I, I love a good Aggie joke, and one of my favorites has always been, you know what the difference between the Aggie football team and a Rice Krispie is? Rice Krispies know what to do when they get into a bowl. That used to be the joke, but I saw a lot of snap, crackle, and pop yesterday in the game with Alabama, and I just have to, those of us who have an affection, a great affection for the Ags are going to celebrate. There is nothing you could say to us today that's going to make this day a downer for me, okay? All right. Um, I also want to just acknowledge that uh, um, as we come to worship, we've got about a half dozen couples involved in marriage retreat this weekend, and I'm so glad about that because that's one of the things that I want I will be in church to be known for is that we are devoted to this idea of building and strengthening um, the marriage relationship for you know, for couples and for families. And so Bob and Carrie Rockwell are hosting another retreat this weekend, and we want to continue to think about them and pray for them as they're on their retreat. But I'm glad to see you this morning and, um, and glad that you're here because I want to, uh, I want to talk a little bit uh, on a more personal level. And in, in effect, let me just say up front, I'm going to renegotiate my contract this morning. Um, I'm being, I'm being serious. I really am. I'm being very serious. Our staff was on retreat uh, just a few weeks ago down at Lake Sam Rayburn at Trinity Pines Camp. Many of you know we have a strong connection with that camp through Phil, through Phil Springer. And uh, and uh, so uh, so while we were on retreat uh, one morning, I got up way early, went out, walked out on the little peninsula that's there at the camp out into the lake, and there's a little gazebo. And I sat and positioned myself east, and I waited, and I watched for the sunrise. I want you to know that there's a difference, that the difference in my life is between night and day. But sometimes it takes a while for it to dawn on you. Sometimes it takes a while for you to get to the dawn. But the difference in me is night and day. I sat there that morning and reflected and began writing that message that morning, sitting there in the gazebo, for what I want to share with you today. Now, I need to go reflect back a little bit and, and kind of bring you up to speed on the journey, because I've shared pieces of this journey with you from t- time to time over the last several years. Uh, but one of the things that, uh, you know, where God spoke pretty uh, in, a, in a resounding kind of way was when Bob and Carrie shared the message on being prodigal parents. Were some of you here for that? Yeah, some of you were here when we had Bob and Carrie share. You see, that journey started about oh several months back when we were involved in a in a study on the family, and I I shared a message with the help of uh, Todd Truesdale, uh, Shane Clark's uh, son, uh, where he shared some of his personal journey, and I made some observations or made three points essentially for uh, for parents who are parenting. Prodigals. Now I'm going to throw them back up there one more time. Can, Cherie, can you can you put them up there for me? Okay, there's the three points. Okay, stop beating yourself up and start living in freedom. All right, love unconditionally and let go. They're actually, they're three points with, but they're dual points, right? 
Watch your words while you watch and pray. And uh, so Bob and Carrie wanted to kind of flesh that out on a Sunday morning with their own personal journey and the struggle and uh, and the relationship with, uh, you know, with their own boys. But I just have to tell you that in the midst of, of, of their sharing, God spoke uh, not in an audible voice, but he, but he spoke to me very clearly that Sunday morning. And so, and so the title that I gave this message was the con, you know, Confessions of a Prodigal Pastor. Because we went from how do you parent prodigals to them talking about being prodigal parents. And so, you know, so the, the message, the, the title this morning, and you say, well, well, what does that have to do with all that? Okay, just hang on for a minute, okay, if you would. And so here's what I want to do. I want to read uh, scripture text because this is the text that, um, you know, that in all my praying and deliberation that God kept bringing me back to, and it's found in, in, in Exodus, it's Moses in chapter 4 of, of, of Exodus. And you know what happens in chapter 3. Well, you know a little bit about Moses 1, 2, and 3, right? He, Moses is one of those male children, one of the very few that was spared in the annihilation of the Egyptians trying to, trying to slow the birthright of the Jewish people who are in captivity in Egypt. And so, and so they, so, so Moses is put in a little basket floated out in the Nile River until she's discovered by Pharaoh's own daughter taken into Pharaoh's house. And Moses spends the first 40 years where? In the palace there in Egypt. And he learns all of the ways of, and he's educated with all of the education of, of the Egyptians. And, uh, and he's rising to prominence, but he cannot shake this identification that he has with his own people. And so, so finally, so finally, as he's out walking one day, he sees an Egyptian, an Egyptian uh, commander literally just beating the daylights out of a Jewish slave. And it, and it just all rises up within him. And, you know, he, he kills an, an Egyptian commander, buries him in the sand. And in a, in a moment, his life has changed because he's, when that's discovered, he's forced to flee. And he goes into the wilderness of Midian. Now, how long is he out there? Forty years. Keep, keep that in mind. That, that plays into my story somewhere. Okay. Okay. So, so in chapter three, he's out there tending sheep and he's been just a sheep herder, a shepherd for 40 years. And God comes to him in chapter three and says, Moses, I want you to go back and I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses has all of these excuses. I mean, he's forgotten all of his Egyptian education after, I mean, I don't even know how to talk anymore. All I do is I talk to sheep. It's more, it's not blah, blah, blah. It's bye, bye, bye. You know, it's, I mean, this is, I don't, I can't do this. And God says, I'll be with you. Moses, I'll be with you. And I'll give you a sign. Now here, now we're at chapter four. You ready? Let's read our text. Chapter four. And then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is in your hand? And he said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. 
And when he threw it on the ground, it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. And so he put out his hand and he caught it. And it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. I want to digress a little further. A month ago, Bob and Carrie shared that message. A month before that, Deb and I are on an airplane. And we're flying back from, from our vacation. Some of you may have heard me mention this. And, and it just so happens that, as I commonly do, I just stuff things in my backpack that I want to read, books and articles and things that I want to read. And I happen to pick up leadership magazine on the flight home and and i started reading a, a literally a, just a two-page interview with with peter scazzaro senior pastor of a church in in brooklyn new york and because of that article it pointed me to his book and so i immediately when i got home i dug his book out of the stack because daryl griebman had already given it to me like even maybe a year earlier and i had just thrown it in the stack and so i got out scazzaro's book and i started reading and i've actually given it to a few of you right and if you're interested i'll find you a copy okay but as I, I'm going to read you an excerpt from Scazzaro's book. I know that's a little dangerous, but, you know, to read quotes, but, but I'm going to do that. And, and because this is to me very compelling commentary. Okay. Particularly in light of discussions that we've had around here in the last few months. Are you listening? Okay. Okay. All right. Scazzaro writes, researchers have been charting at the departing dust of those known as church leavers, an increasingly large group that has been gathering numbers in recent years. Some of the leavers, he said, are believers who no longer attend church. These men and women made a genuine commitment to Christ, but came to realize slowly and painfully that the spirituality available in church had not delivered any deep Christ-transforming life change either in themselves or in others, what went wrong? They were sincere followers of Jesus Christ. But they struggled as much as, as anyone with their marriages, with divorce, with friendships, with parenting problems, singleness, sexuality, addictions, insecurities, the need for approval, feelings of failure, even depression at work, at church, and at home. They saw the same patterns of emotional conflict inside the church as outside. So what went wrong? There were other church leaders those who remained in the church but simply became inactive or passive, if you will. You see, after many years of frustration and disappointment, 
realizing that the black and white presentation of the life of faith didn't fit with their life experience. And so they just sort of quit, at least internally. For the sake of their children, or, or perhaps for lack of another alternative, they, they may have remained in the church, but passively. They can't quite put their finger on the problem, but they know something's just not right. Something's missing. A, a deep unease in their soul gnaws at them. But they don't know what to do about it. Well, there's a third group, sadly, that just jettisoned their, they just jettisoned their faith completely. They, they grew tired of feeling stuck, trapped in their spiritual journey. They, they grew weary of, of Christians around them, regardless of their knowledge of God and church involvement and zeal. They, they, they were angry and compulsive, compulsive, highly opinionated, defensive and proud, and, and just too busy. These Christians were just too busy to love the Jesus they possessed or they professed. So being a Christian for them seemed more trouble than it was worth. And so Starbucks and, and the local newspaper were better companions for Sunday morning. Are you hearing? Are you hearing that? And then Scazzaro, this, this is where he catches me, okay? Scazzaro says, there, there was a time in my life when I wanted more than anything else to be one of those church leavers. The agonizing pain of a major crisis had me writhing in anger and in shame. Me, the guy who tried so hard to be committed and a loving Christian who was so sincere about serving God and building up his kingdom. How had all of my best efforts landed me in such a mess? I'm thinking this guy's reading my journal. It wasn't until the pain was exposed that was hiding under the surface of me being a good Christian that it hit me. There were layers, whole layers of my emotional life that had been buried and untouched by God's transforming power. Because I was too consumed with building a church or, or doing God's work to spend time digging around in my subconscious or, or being silent and quiet before Him. Yet the pain was forcing me now to face how superficially Jesus had penetrated my inner person, even though I'd been a Christian for, he says, 20 years. I'm going to say 40 years. That's when I discovered the radical truth that changed my life, my marriage, my ministry, and eventually the church where I was privileged to serve. That remains to be seen for me. The simple truth, but somehow I missed it. And strangely, apparently, so had the vast majority of the evangelical movement that I have been a part of. This simple but profound reality, I believe, has the power to bring revolutionary change to many of those who are ready to throw in the towel on the Christian faith. Emotional health, he says, and spiritual maturity are inseparable. Now, the turning point, you see, for Schizero was a conversation that he had with his wife, Jerry. He's sitting one evening on the bed in the master suite 
and he's reading a book and wife Jerry comes in and she says to Peter Scazzaro, Peter, I'm not going to live this way anymore. It would be easier for me to be single than it is being married to you. And so I'm not going to ride this roller coaster anymore. I can't change you. I understand that. So I'm getting off the bus. Oh. And by the way, she said, Peter, the church you pastor, I'm quitting. I resign. And your leadership sucks. Now he says, I had to... I had to resist the first defensive posture, which which made me want to get up and strangle her. Because she exposed me and my nakedness. That things weren't what they needed to be. In my life and personal journey. And he later writes... It was the most beautiful and wonderful gift that Jerry ever gave to me and our marriage. You see, that was the first paragraph of that little article that I read on the airplane coming back from my vacation, headed back toward Willow Bend. And I'm going to be really honest with you, guys. It crystallized for me the journey that I had been on for about two to two and a half years. Two years ago, I was that close leaving here. I don't know where I was going. But I was out. God has impeccable timing. I went through a crisis and I was in the midst of cri- and that crisis, probably at the lowest point in my spiritual journey in years and years and years. And um, my friend Steve Davidson, if you're here, Steve, you can you can testify for this. God's timing was impeccable. Davidson and I attended for the very first time men at the cross weekend. I mean, within four days of that crisis. I'm at Men of the Cross weekend, and I am a desperate puppy to somehow connect with God. And God used Men at the Cross weekend in my life in a profound way. What I discovered on that weekend was that I suffered greatly from trying to live up to the expectations of everyone else in my life but God's. That I was a total people pleaser. That I was a perfectionist of such extreme that it was all or nothing for me. I could be doing great if I was, but if I, if I failed at one thing or, or if I, if I felt like one sermon tanked, I could, I would be in the tank for weeks. Cause I was a perfectionist. 
And I could never put anything down. You know, ask my wife. I can't enjoy a Saturday night out to dinner. Because I've been working on the sermon all week and I work on it. You know, I get up at 4 a.m. working on this sucker. And reworking this sucker. Because I'm a perfectionist. So it drives me crazy. And then I've learned to be a great pretender because I can put on the happy face. You see, my job is trying to keep everybody happy and harmonious. You see, that I was hardwired with all of that in, in my this dysfunctional family, which I'm not going to discuss today. I'm just telling you that on that retreat, I came face to face. You know, they held this mirror up in front of Dave, and I saw myself. And then the leader of the retreat had the audacity to say this. He said, he said, you know what? Those are your false selves, and God can't love your false selves. He can only love your real self. And I'm sitting there, I'm in deep weeds because I don't know who my real self is anymore. Not a fun place to be. There was a second part of God's impeccable timing. Daryl By hooks me up with a local pastor, another pastor in Plano area, who needs to go through a step study. And so I start taking this other pastor through a step study. So in the midst of my crisis of faith, you know, with my, my world is just coming apart, you know, I'm, I'm meeting with this other pastor. Man, everything in his life is going really good. I mean, they're just cruising, you know. I mean, every, there's a story every week about it. You know, God blessing this, you know what I'm saying? But we start getting in the step study, and, and I made a decision. I'd, I'd done two step studies before. I'd, I'd been through one, and I'd led another one. You know, but on this, I just took, I threw away the books. You know, there's four books, right, Daryl? Going through that step study. And I just got, I just got some clean, fresh books, and I said, i, I got to do this one more time, and i got to do this really honest. And so I started getting really honest with a fellow pastor. Okay. You know, there's a, there's a third thing that God blessed me with in my life, and that is that woman right there. She's great. And I had two friends. I had Ross and I had David. My old seminary buddies that I had breakfast with every Wednesday morning. Boy, I wasn't missing a Wednesday morning because... Because my guts were coming out on the table every Wednesday morning for their inspection. And I really have come to believe in Jesus' math, guys. Jesus' math is 3, 12, 120. You're going to hear me say that again and again. If you don't have two or three friends, if you don't have, you know, a mate, you know, who's spiritually wired on the same page, you know, you don't have a couple of friends that you can really be real. And when the wheels are coming off, you can tell them about the wheels that are coming off, then you're in deep weeds. Because if Jesus needed it, you think you're going to get by without it? But that having two or three friends that you can really confide in, you can be real in, and, and God put those guys. And then there was the 12, man, the staff and the elders of this church. Now, there were days when those guys, you know, Swanson, will, you'll, you'll nod your head, Swanson. They're looking at me going, what in the world is going on with Dave? Is he going to be here tomorrow? Because they didn't know, and neither did I.
And so I started on a journey with the support of my three and my 12, with God's impeccable and incredible timing, exposing some weaknesses, you know, some emotional wounds and some hard wiring, some hard wiring that literally was, you know, that was, that was, that was pushing me to the point of total burnout. I found a spiritual director, a wise old codger named Roy, and I started digging in, and I started going on an emotional journey. And so God comes to Moses. I'll be finished in a minute. God comes to Moses. Guys, I've been a Christ follower for 40 years. I thought I was grown up. Eh, I had some real growing to do. Because I was so hardwired to be a pleaser, to be a perfectionist, to be a, to be a pretender and put on a happy, smiley face and just keep plugging. But inside, I was caving in. And God comes to Moses. And, and here are the truths that, I, that he spoke to me out of that text. God said the same thing to me. He said to Moses, he said, Dave, what's in your hand? The shepherd's staff. That was Moses' identity at the time, right? It's just a stick, Lord. God says, look at what's in your hand. What's in your hand? And he says, Moses... Throw it down. That's what he told me to do. Throw it down. And when he threw it down, what happened? It started moving. It started doing this and that. And it says, and Moses ran. I wanted to run. And then God said, Moses, I want you to pick it up by the tail. God, that's not the way you pick up a snake. <laughs> I think it's safer if you can put the hoe or the rake down on it and get him behind the head. I mean, I grew up on the farm out there in West Texas. We had rattlesnakes. Pick him up by the tail. And so old Moses, he, he kind of gingerly comes up there. He, trust me, I think he was cautious. I think he wanted to be obedient, but I think he was cautious. And he comes up there. And he kind of, he's sneaking up on it, okay? And then he, he grabs it by the tail. And holds it out there. And it becomes a staff again. I'm doing this differently.
God says, what's in your hand, Dave? It's, it's my staff. I'm a shepherd. I am. I'm a pastor teacher. Throw it down. Gladly. Now pick it back up the way I want you to pick it back up. Pick it up the way I tell you to pick it up. Are you following me? Okay, so Cherie, pop those three phrases back there from that parental thing. That Pop those back up there again. I just need to tell you how I'm picking this thing up. Number one, I'm going to stop beating myself up and I'm going to start living in freedom. This is what God told me. God said, you know what, Dave? You're just the pastor. You get that? It ain't all on me. What are you going to do, church? What are you going to do? I'm going to stop beating myself up. You know, things don't go right. You know, things just, you know, plans don't happen just like we thought. You know, I'm just saying, and, you know, I'm saying, you know, and, and boy, the finances, whoo, everybody's ringing. No, no. I'm going to stop beating myself up and I'm going to start living in freedom. Number two, I'm going to love you unconditionally. Cool. But I'm letting you go. My job as shepherd and teacher is to get up here and speak the word of God. If you do zero with it, God told me recently, when, you, when we stand in judgment, I won't have to answer for you. You'll have to answer for yourself. Do you realize that was really a hard one for me to let go? If I preached my heart out and you wouldn't respond, you know what I'd do? Oh, I must, my delivery must not have been very good. I should have said that different. They're not really. No, folks, it's on you. If I'm obedient to Christ, that's all I can do. I can commit to love you unconditionally. But what you do is what you do. I'm freeing you up. You want to be the church? Be the church. I'm just the pastor. Okay, number three. Okay, I got to be careful here. Because I'm feeling some passion. I'm going to watch my words. And I'm going to watch and pray. That's what I've been doing the last 40, 45 days. I'm going to watch and pray. See what God does. Because you know what, folks? You know those five hard truths we talked about last week? When God spoke them to me, I heard freedom all over that. (laughs) I'm not that important. I'm just the pastor. I'm not in control. It's not about me anyway. Okay, all right. Last word. Look look at this, look at this. Later in chapter 4 of Exodus, verse 19 and 20, read it. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt. For all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons. He had them ride on a donkey. And he went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. Do you see the difference? From 
that moment on, Moses, what's in your hand? My staff. Nope. From this point on in Scripture, it's the staff of God. It's His. Pray with me. It is sobering, uh, Father, for me to recognize that it seems in the um, Evangelical Church of America that people-pleasing and pretending, pretense, perfectionism, all of those false selves, all of those masks that we wear are worn by so many of us. And so I got this feeling I'm not the only person here that has struggled for years with this and has longed for transformation and for, and for freedom. And God, I, I recognize you're not finished with me yet. But the difference is night and day. And I'm so thankful for the dawn. Lord, let it dawn on someone else that there is transforming power in the gospel. That when we come to Christ and we open our heart up to Him, He walks across that chasm that separates us from hope and love and purpose and peace. And He takes us by the hand and He walks us through that valley. Dark as it may seem, Because we have a Savior who said, I will never leave you or forsake you. In the world, you're going to have tribulation, pressure, and struggle. Why, the very things you try to do for good can have a serpent, snake-like quality to them if they're not done for me. And in my power, Dave. Oh, God. I ask you to touch the lives of many and transform us. Father, I, I ask your forgiveness that you have to hit me with a two by four to get my attention sometimes. That you have to back me into the corner. But God, if that's what it takes for life transformation to happen in the lives of people in this congregation, I ask God you to back us into the corner. Because I don't want us to miss your grace. Your incredible love and grace. I love you, Lord. Help us 
to be the men and women and the young people that you want us to be. Because of the transforming presence of your spirit in us. Which leads the way. Amen.